Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Hour two of the Bash starts right now. It's the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. It coming up at uh, 3.40 this hour. We'll talk with former number two overall pick, Ryan Leaf. He'll join us here on the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill, at Mike Gill Show on Twitter. That's Hunter Brody, at Broads81. Follow him there. Real quick, uh, Sixers win last night. Up big, kind of coughed up the lead, close it out. Ben Simmons, solid game. Joel Embiid. I mean, every night the article's the same. Dominates. The first quarter, though. Wow. It really shined in that first quarter where he was able to do it on both sides of the floor defensively. The Hornets had no idea what to do. They had zero clue. Dude, there was a time, though, I think it was either late second quarter, early third quarter, or mid-third quarter, where the Sixers just came down, gave it to Embiid at the foul line, and were like, you finish. You do what you want to do. Yeah. Like They just could not figure out how to stop. But when he's hitting foul line jumpers, elbow jumpers, fadeaway jumpers, what do you do? Well, not only that, because the first quarter he was hitting three. So it's like now add that to the mix. He's been hasn't been shooting it as much, but he's been more consistent with the threes. He's picking and choosing when he wants to do yeah, it. He doesn't shoot him as much. Right. That first quarter, it was like, whoa. So if he's going to shoot it from three, it just adds a whole nother. Oh, I say he doesn't shoot him as much. I'd like to actually. I looked see it up yesterday. 2.9 is his attempts this year. They used to be around four and 3.5 ish. So, so he's, a, he's about one down. Yeah, a little bit down and but more efficient, too. So not only is he down, but he's hitting it at a higher rate. Which maybe plays hand-in-hand hand with each other. Dude, their defense in the first quarter of that game was outrageous. They scored 13 points in the first quarter, the, the Hornets. 13 points. It, it was unbelievable. That's almost impossible. It's, That's how great defense they yeah, played. Yeah, their defense was fantastic. I thought Simmons played a really good game last night. It's just steady. He took advantage of mismatches. Like, he did that baby hook, that right-handed baby hook kind of like. He realized, I can make the most of this matchup. He doesn't do that every night. I'll tell you what he's doing a lot more now, though. And this kind of connects a little bit to scoring and not scoring. He's getting himself deeper into the paint without like before he would just stop and give up his dribble. Now he's getting himself deeper into the paint and he is finding guys and they are wide open because as he's getting deeper into the paint, the defense is starting to come towards him and he's throwing cross court passes from like the left block out to the right wing. And he's just absolutely lulling you to sleep. It's looking like like he's having a lot of fun finding, like, Danny Green's wide open. This is nice because I think he'll make it. Seth Curry's wide open. That's nice because I think he'll make it, as opposed to if I throw it to Josh Richardson or Al Horford, they ain't making it. Yeah, no doubt. I saw a lot of reaction to Seth Curry, like, oh, I hope he's okay because the last couple of days have been a little quiet. My thing is he was shooting 60% from three when he was really rolling hot. That wasn't going to be sustainable. You knew the averages would eventually kind of play itself back out. And so he had a couple smaller nights over the last three games or so. There's nothing wrong with Seth Curry. He came back from COVID and he was red hot once he got back. I think it's just a lull of averages kind of playing itself out. Embiid had more points in the first quarter than the uh, Hornets had. That's a nice stat right there. Here's another one from the Joe Show. Do you think Wentz lost his passion for the game of football? And this is interesting. When I read that, and then last night, tie in what you heard from Joel Embiid about being a dad and how cool it is and what we've been hearing. Could the opposite effect have happened for Wentz that he no longer wants to put the same time in because he's a father? I guess it's very possible. I don't know if he lost that competitive nature, though. I, I think it's just everything surrounding 
this organization that put him in this bad spot mentally. You remember when we when we drafted him, the talks were he was out to dinner and he was getting yelled at by his wife because he was watching film underneath the table and he was a football mind and all he would do was think about film and think about getting better. I don't think you lose that. That's something you're born with. We talk about it all the time, that, that competitive nature. You either have it or you don't. I think that's in Carson Wentz, but there's so much surrounding this drama that it's sort of rubbing him off. But I still think it's in there. Ryan Falochi is watching on YouTube. I think if they trade Wentz and keep Jalen Hurts as a starter, I think there's an opportunity to build around Hurts. He has the talent. We just hired a quarterback coach that was highly regarded. Do the Eagles view Hurts as the franchise quarterback? I think it's a fair and interesting question is, how are they looking at Jalen Hurts? What did they figure out in a four-and-a-half game stretch? I don't think that they're saying he he is our franchise guy, but I think they ask the question, can he develop into a guy that we can use as a franchise guy? I, be honest with yourself. Watching Hurts play last year, right now, do you feel comfortable enough to say this is our franchise guy? Because I don't feel that way personally. I'm intrigued by him. I think he has a nice skill set, but I think you can play it sort of like how the Cowboys played with Dak Prescott. They never really committed to him. They play this back-and-forth mouse game where it's like, what are you going to do every single year kind of thing? And it's sort of like it's it's a placeholder. You just now Dak is obviously more than a placeholder, but that's how they played Dak. Here's my answer to your question. I don't look at Hurts skill set-wise and say, man, but there is that intriguing part of Hurts that all he's ever done is one and that he is such a well-regarded leader that – is he the guy that I said Wentz was? That if Wentz is your quarterback, your team never goes through that 4-12 and 12 season because he simply refuses. That's how I used to view Wentz. I don't feel hurts that way, though, because I don't think his skill set can make up for it totally to keep it. For, like, I could see you being 4-12 and 12 with Hurts. I didn't see that happening with Wentz earlier in his career, so maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see Hurts as a guy that can hold you involved so much that you'll never be 4-12. and 12. I think if the surrounding pieces are brutal and it gets ugly, you could be 4-12 and 12 with Jalen. Mark Armstrong's watching on YouTube. You think we overhype Carson's success being Philly fans? If he was a Washington quarterback, would we still see the same potential? If, if, if he was MVP level one year in Washington, then yes, I would think that he would have well, that potential. Well, they did have Robert Griffin III for one year there who took the league by storm, and then he was bupkis. Yeah, but the Eagles won the Super Bowl, and I think that that changes our perspective. Not with him. You're right, but with him, you got that advantage over other teams, home field and all that. Remember that day? Of course I do. Vividly? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was interesting. Three years ago. Yep. Today. Yep. Eagles won the Super Bowl. Everybody out there watching or listening, do you remember what you were doing, where you were, Tell us, 609-403-0973, or leave a comment. Three years ago today, Eagles Super Bowl, where'd you watch it? What were you doing? All right, so I was still playing college hockey at the time, so we had a hockey house. We all watched it there, and I hated it because I wanted to be alone. I didn't want to watch it with anyone. I wanted to embrace this and, and really study what was going on, but uh, I watched it with, a, with pretty much, I'd say, seven, eight, nine teammates or so. But the, the crazy, now looking back, it, it's fun. But if the Eagles would have lost, it would have been miserable. One of my teammates was your typical Boston you-know-what. Like that typical guy you want to punch in the face. All he does is brag about championships. Everyone has witnessed a, a guy from Massachusetts who you just can't stand because it's so brutal. Tom Brady, this and that. I mean, it, it was a nightmare to deal with all two weeks long. But I watched it with him. 
So it was kind of a really nice feeling to win and to beat him. And I remember as soon as Tom Brady had that two-minute drive, right? A two-minute drive with Tom Brady. I looked at him and I said, dude, this is everything we could have ever wanted. Come on, you got Tom Brady, the football, the game's on the line here. What's going to happen? Now, Brandon Graham had the strip sack. It was amazing. But I, I put my hand out, said, shake my hand. This is what we're here for. And he did. He, like, spit on my hand. I was like, what? Your did you friend? Just yeah, my teammate. Like a fake spit, like a little, you know? It's like, oh, okay, real nice. As soon as the Eagles won, he went to my back door, slammed it as hard as possible, and you heard him outside. Wow. Scream the F word as loud as possible, and he started punching the wall. Like, he was pissed off that the Patriots lost, and he lost to the Eagles. I'll never forget that moment. But, yeah, I watched it with, with eight, nine teammates or so at the hockey house, and it was a party from there. I See, the unfortunate part is because we were in season, I wasn't allowed to go to the parade because I was at school and we had games and all. Now, would you have gone to the parade? Yes. But here's the thing. I had no interest. I was injured. So I couldn't even, I was like in a cast. My thumb was broken. I couldn't play. So I went into my coach's office. I'm like, coach, I know the situation. I can't play. I'm, it's not like I'm missing time on the, I can't play. Can I go to the parade? And he said, he said, let me get back to you. Wow. Yeah. So what he did was he said he sat down with his wife. He really processed all this, knowing how much it would mean to me to go to this parade. And he said it would be a really bad statement for me to say to the team, hey, I'm going to go let Broads party while you guys are battling and, and fighting. So I was like, I, I respect your decision, and I didn't go to the parade. Do you it, regret it now? No, not really, because I did do the right thing. you resent him for I that? Did, I did the right thing. But here's what I did do. I set up two cones in my living room, put caution tape in front of the TV. I watched the parade on TV with a 30 next to me, and I was jumping up and down as if I was at the parade. Yeah, I had no interest in going to the parade. Really? I'm not parade guy. Oh, I'm parade guy. No, I'm, I'm out on parade. But so, all right, that's good. We got some messages coming in. Not Where were you? Guy. That's we'll, we'll I'll package that. I'll put it in my brain and talk about that later. Where were you when the Eagles won their only Super Bowl? It was three years ago today. Jeff Bone. And Pookie says, I watched with a Cowboys fan. It was the best day of my life. I like that. Um, I don't like watching it. with. I like watching it with people, the Super Bowl in general, if it's another team. Like, of course, it's yeah, a party. Watched, that night, I watched the game. It was me, one of my college friends, and his girlfriend. That's just small the three enough. Of us. Small enough. They brought pizza over, and it was just the three of us because I, I was going to watch it by myself. And, you know, he was like, hey, you know, we'll watch the game with you. Fine. It was him and his girlfriend. Are they Eagles fans, though? No. Okay, not Eagles fans. He's from West Virginia. He's a Steelers fan. I don't know about her. But she might have been a Steelers fan for all I remember. But all I remember is it was the greatest sports day of my life because not only did the Eagles win the Super Bowl, which was fantastic, I also won the Super Block pool. How much? It was like 20000 Whoa. Wow. That's way better than a Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice day at the office. What'd and you do after that? What'd you do with it? You just tell me you went boring and put it in the old no. savings. And that year I won my fantasy football league. Come on. Yeah. So I won the fantasy football league, the Super Bowl block pool, and the Eagles won the Super Bowl all in the same year. What did I do with it? I went to Clearwater that year and I had the penthouse suite for the whole week by myself. Whoa. You didn't even invite Frank Close. Nope. I didn't know Frank Close <laughs> at that time. I don't think. But yeah, it was around that time. So the Eagles, you know, we have whatever numbers. It was one in three, obviously. So whatever numbers we had at the time, I called the guy. We had split the block. So I didn't get the whole 20 shebangers. But <sighs> would have been nice. I called my buddy. At this point, he's we lost. We got no shot. Dude, and I say, all we need to have happen is we need the Eagles to kick a field goal and then score a touchdown. And that's it. 
And of course, they kick the field goal. They get the strip sack. Uh, they scored the touchdown. Then they get the strip sack. I mean, it was like, do you understand what's going on here? <laughs> wait, what? Wait, what happened? I said, I told you 20 minutes ago. I told you they needed to do that. They needed it. And he gets the strip. But he got that strip sack. That's why I will say, maybe I'm a bit biased. Brandon Graham's strip sack is the greatest play in the history of the Eagles franchise. I think you might be a little biased. Although, no, it's there. But I think the, I it's just, the most important play ever. I think Zach Ertz is touchdown. Or Corey Clement. Like, there's so much in that game that I think it's overlooked because of how big that play was at the end. Which, look, I'm not downplaying that. That's obviously up there. I just feel there's, if you really went back and dissected that game fully, I bet you that there would be some that maybe stick out a little bit more. No. I think so. The strip sack. Because if they don't strip sack, Brady takes them down. They yeah, win but again. without Zach Ertz's touchdown, are we even in yeah, that conversation? All those things, like they were here, they were here. That was the best play. And then that play just because it was the last everything. one. Just because it was the last one. Yeah. And all Jake right. Elliott makes a field goal for me to uh I'm not gonna argue it. Obviously, it's it's up there. Fairly special people like to argue. John says, I'm 46, been watching the Eagles with my dad since I was a kid. Greatest Eagles memory three years ago today, watching with my family. I'm in Philly, but watched at relatives in South Jersey. So just did a little uh the family ties are big. You know, like I know something that's huge when it comes to the Super Bowl. For example, with me, my uncle was a huge Eagles fan and he passed away a couple months before the Super Bowl. And, you know, winning that Super Bowl almost like tied it all together. And when you talk about the Super Bowl and the memories and all, I think that's a big side of this is the emotional tie with some family members, diehard Eagles fans who never got the uh, possibility to see it actually happen. So I think a lot of family ties is involved in this type of moment as well. All right, a couple more. AK Eagles 88. I was in my living room, been waiting for 30 years for it. I cried my eyes out. It was the greatest feeling ever. I went tears. You went tears. I went tears. Now, it wasn't a full-on ugly cry or anything like that where it's like pouring out of my face. But yeah, for sure. I mean, there were definitely tears that came down. It's a great time. I hope we can do it again sometime. Maybe Howie's listening. I will say this, though. Speaking of football, and this weekend, obviously, being the Super Bowl, DraftKings now has a golden ticket giveaway with up to $55 million in prizes up for grabs. All you have to do to get your share of these huge prizes is enter the DraftKings free Super Bowl prediction challenge. Once you submit your picks, you will get a free instant prize up to $25,000. If you win, you win the top prize of $1 million. So download the DraftKings Sports app now and use promo code 973 when you sign up must be 21 or older new jersey only gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER all right when we come back inside the sixers keith pompey he'll be on the video screen for those of you watching we'll talk a little sixers with keith as he will join us for inside the sixers it's coming up next here on the sports bash live on 97.3 espn eagles won the super bowl three years ago today tell us where you were this guy says <laughs> I remember where I was, not anything else, not even the game. It was one giant blur to the ex due to all the excitement and the nervousness. Okay, I was going to say, if it was due to alcohol, then you missed the, you know, I can't do that. You can't miss that because you're drunk, it's a good right? Check, so. Yeah, the anxiousness and the emotion for sure. Where you were, what do you remember? The Eagles Super Bowl three years ago, it seems so far away. Oh, man. Keith Pompey inside the Sixers next. All right, we're back live inside the Matt Black Kia studios here on the Sports Bash, Mike and Broads. And, of course, Sixers tonight, 8 o'clock on 97.3 ESPN, taking on Portland Trailblazers. Although this isn't really like the Portland Trailblazers. This might be the G League team that they're sending 
to uh, Philadelphia for this game tonight. They got a bunch of guys sitting out. We go inside the Sixers that we do every day at 320 here on the show. Right now, Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer is our inside the Sixers guest today. What's up, my man? How are you? What's up? I'm doing well, man. Did you see that pit win last night? I was I, I was literally pausing because I was waiting for it. I did. <laughs> okay. You know, it's funny because they give us the options of games to carry on the weekend, and they moved Pitt to play Virginia. We were going to carry Louisville, Virginia, and I said they're playing Pitt. That's off the air. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, you just missed a bad game. If you, you, like if I'm the viewers or the listeners, I'm going to be a little upset with you, man. Yeah, well, you were in Charlotte last night, right? Yeah, yeah. So you saw a defensive effort in that first quarter that was just stifling. And it's really something that I think separates them from the other teams in the East, maybe, what they can bring defensively. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you look at it and, you know, we all know that Ben Simmons wants to be the defensive player of the year. You know, Joel Embiid is a, a huge rim protector. And then you bring in, you know, Danny Green. And when Danny Green is on defensively, he gives you a lot, you know, and, and Matisse comes in there. But it was it was crazy. I mean, because, you know, you look at Gordon Hayward, you know, he's an all-star candidate. I mean, he looked like looked like he wasn't ready for the moment. And, and then you look at a couple of the other guys, they were struggling. I mean, I, and I honestly believe that the Sixers were thinking about tonight's game and they let their foot off the gas, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like, let's rest up. Let's just get stay healthy and get out of here. But, yeah, in that first quarter, they were destroying them. Keith, I know you're a guy who's followed this team for a long time. You've seen almost every one of Joel's games. What are you seeing different about this version of Joel Embiid? Is it something he's doing on the court, or is it maybe just more maturity off the court? Like, when you watch what you're seeing, how do you quantify what we're watching from this version of Joel Embiid? You know, I want to say, you know, it's a little bit of both, but let's start. I think that Joel has realized now that he can do less, like less is more. Because when you look at him, you know, remember in the past, you would go to a game and Joel was trying to get like 30 points at the half, right? And he's like trying extra hard. He's doing everything. Well, right now it looks like, He's picking his spots and he realizes that I am, this is my team. I'm the alpha dog. The ball is going to find me. But at the same time, I'm going to do everything I can to get my teammates involved because ultimately that's going to give me better shots, you know, things like that. That's what Joel is doing. It's like less is more. But also, I do think that there is a maturity factor in there. And I also think that Joel kind of sort of hit rock bottom last year. And what I mean by that is when he didn't make the all NBA first, second or third team, when he didn't make any of the all defensive teams, he didn't make the all bubble team, although he was averaging close to 30 points. I think Joel was like, wow. So you mean to tell me the media doesn't think I'm still the same guy? And I think Joel Embiid decided to like, let's get in shape. Let's do everything. And I'm going to come out motivated trying to prove everyone wrong. What about Doc's impact in all of this as well? Maybe not just Doc specifically, but the entire coaching staff who has a, a great assistant coaching staff as well. Hey, that's huge. I mean, let, let, let's think about it. That's huge. I mean, here's the thing. Like, Mike will tell you, anybody will tell you. Here's the thing. Like, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons 
you know, everyone was writing articles about can they play together? How much do they get along? Do they like each other? You know, they, you don't have to like each other. You don't have to hang out with each other to be great teammates. But since Doc has been here, you know, I'm looking at these guys on the sidelines and they're always in constant communication. In the past, it was like it was two great guys who basically wanted to be the homecoming king. You know what I mean? They both want to be the homecoming king. Now, right now, it's like these two guys who want to win a championship together and they know they can. That's coaching. Secondly, you look at the adjustments that are being made. You look at how, you know, I feel like what Doc Rivers is doing is he's playing to his players' strengths, right? Instead of like worrying about the system, he's playing to their strengths. That's why, you know, Tobias Harris is having like an all star type performance. That's why Ben Simmons is like saying, hey, I'm going to be the best role player out there. You know what I mean? It's like they're all – Doc Rivers has all these guys buying in for the team, and he's also having them all play to their strengths. You know, and one thing, you know, let's take Brett out of the equation and Doc out of the equation. I think if we look back at Brett's tenure, you could say that his staffs were not great. I mean, w whether that's his fault or whatever, he just didn't have experienced staffs. And I think that is so under talked about, not under talked about because people are acknowledging Cassell, Jaeger, uh, Burke, Popeye Jones is a guy who played in the league. They have guys now that I think that's a big difference from what Brett, it was almost like Brett was a one man band trying to do it all himself. And it's like, I got to try to develop this guy and that guy and that guy because I can't trust these other guys because they don't have the voice that maybe I do. And you're exactly right. And that's not a knock against Brett. You know, there's going to be some people who are going to compare Doc Rivers to Brett and or Brett to Doc. You can't do it. You know, I mean, Doc Rivers is a coach who's been coaching 20 plus years. I mean, when, when Brett Brown was getting a job as a coach, there was the Mount Rushmore. Three of the guys on the top was, you know, Doc Rivers, um, uh, uh, Greg Popovich and, and the coach that's coaching the Knicks right now. I forget his name. Um, right now, but it was yeah. those three guys, right? Thibodeau, yeah, Thibodeau. Now you look at Sam Cassell as an assistant coach, right? Here's a guy who won three rings. He won, you know, two with the Houston Rockets. He played with Akeem Olajuwon. He played with some great players. He was on that Boston Celtics team. He coached great guys with the Clippers. And then you have these other coaches like Jaeger, who was a head coach at two different stops. He coached all NBA type players. And then Dan Burke is a defensive specialist. So when you when you talk about that staff, it's kind of like it's completely different. And something else that I will add to that is, I mean, you look at Doc Rivers and, you know, he's the type of guy he coached countless, countless Hall of Famers. He played with Hall of Famers. So if from a credibility standpoint, if a guy like Doc Rivers says, you know what, you know what, Joel, man, Patrick Ewan used to do this and you think you're better than Patrick Ewing, you can't do it. Oh, okay, coach, I'm going to do it. Hey, Ben, do you know what uh, what uh, Kevin Garnett and them used to do and things like that? You understand what I'm saying? So Doc Rivers can, can say, this is what you need to do to be where you want to end up at. And Brett Brown, as an assistant coach, don't get me wrong, he was with the Spurs, but it's different when you're the head coach as opposed to an assistant coach. 
Earlier, you mentioned taking the foot off the gas pedal in the second half, and we saw something similar happen against the Lakers. The difference this year is they're actually closing out the games, which is not what they did in years past, but does that concern you at all? You know, it concerns me a little bit, just a little bit, because, you know, the, the thing is, I, I, you know, it, it gets to a point where, you know, it, it seems in both instances, you know, you're up and you may get a little like, yes, we won this thing. And things start to get a little sloppy. And then all of a sudden, the team gets fired. And this team, especially last night, you know, it was a prime opportunity for them to, hey, we're going to rest Joel Embiid. We're going to do it. Well, you know, we're going to rest Tobias. And we're going to come back on this back-to-back and then try to give optimal effort. You know what I mean? Be well-rested. And to me, it's like the team is good, but they can't lose focus right now. You know, they have to play all 48. I mean, I know that's a cliche, but they have to play the entire 48 to me when they're out there. Keith, um, you travel with the team still. They were not very good on the road last year. They've won three in a row on the road now. Is it different playing on the road with no fans, or has this team figured something out, or why do we explain that they are having road success? Is it as simple as, well, there's no fans, and it makes it different? You know what I think is the people who they have on the roster, the new guys, you know, and, and I'm talking about, let, let's talk about the white Howard. Let's talk about Danny green. I mean, both of like, you know, the white Howard won his championship this year, last year, you know, Danny green won three of them. They're used to going in the hostile environments. They're used to like saying, Hey, look, this is what we have to do to huddle as a group. It's funny because when they run out on the floor, you'll see the white Howard, you know, cuffing his ears and like this and doing that. There's no one in the arena, but he's like, he's imagining that people are booing the Sixers and he's clapping like, where's the booze? Where's the booze? So to me, it's like that mentality that these two guys are bringing to whereas, hey, look, it's all about circling the wagons and this is what we're going to do. Yeah, I know that you mentioned um, Howard. I mean, I don't know that we even acknowledge how, important that piece has been because that's been a position that's been a mess and he knows what his role in. I'll play 17 minutes and grab eight boards and give you a couple dunks. That's what you use me for. And and he's happy with that. They haven't had that. Yeah. You know what the funny thing is like when Dwight Howard first came on board and he gave his press conference and he was like, yeah, Joe, I'm going to be a great teammate. And I love Joel. And I think Ben can do this. And I'm like, come on, brother, like stop with this. Like, you know, can you just stop it? And then all of a sudden, you know, he keeps it up. He keeps it up. And you're like, wow, he really does want to help him. I'm going to say something. This is like the, the thing that people don't see on television, right? When they're on the road and when they introduce the other team, like I always used to look at the Jumbotron to see like, you know, all the hoopla and all the hype and that. Now I'm looking at the White Howard. The White Howard goes over to the scorer's table and they have a dribbling competition. I mean, they even do like football passes. They do soccer kicks and everything. And it's like his way of keeping the team loose. Like he is the team leader. Like whenever you listen to him, when they break the huddle, when they're in the locker room and the game is over, Dwight is always the one saying, let's go, let's get it. So yeah, he's great for the Sixers right now. Yeah, he, he's, I mean, you're right. You Your eyes are fixated on him when he's on the bench just because he's always pacing up and down and doing stuff. Um, it's a definitely a different feel. You would attest to that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. 
It's like night and day. I mean, it's, it's that good. bubble. Say it again. Yeah, I'd be miserable in that bubble. <laughs> yeah, they did. I know they did. <laughs> you were there, weren't you? Yeah, it was. Well, you know, it's just different. I mean, it was what it was. Is I think that it was just a bad mix. You know, it was one of those things where and they knew it. You know, they they, they had they were they they just didn't have the pieces. You know what I mean? You had a lot of guys who were good players, but they never really won anything. You know what I mean? Or, or they never like hit rock bottom and had to come back. You know, it was just a lot of guys who made money and, and they just didn't mesh well, you know, and, and the team is like a lot. Like, and, and that's why and there's nothing against the former coaching staff or anything like that. But when you look at a guy like Doc Rivers, the way he's able to bring everyone together, you know, like Joel knows he knows this is his team. He knows that he's not competing with anyone. You know, Ben Simmons has a coach that regardless of what he says, behind closed doors to Ben, he's going to bat. He's battling for Ben whenever we ask him questions about him. You know, Tobias has a guy that knows how to bring the best out of him, you know, this and that. You know, and Danny and um, they're looking at it where you, where, where you have a coach that says, look, Dwight and Danny, your job is to bring that winning mentality. It's not just on the court. We want you to do stuff off the court. We have a lot of young guys here. That's what we need. And I'm telling you, Doc Rivers has been a a, a blessing for the Sixers right now. He's Keith Pompey uh, at Pompey on Sixers for more on tonight's game, including all of the Blazers who will not play tonight. He's been our guest for Inside the Sixers, and he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Good to see you, man. I don't get up there anymore because, uh, you know, we're limited. Yeah, well, don't worry. You'll be there. You'll be there pretty soon next year when they win. You know, they go far in the, in the playoffs. <laughs> All right. We'll see you soon, pal. All right, man. Thanks for having me, fellas. Absolutely. We hope to see you again. Keith Pompey, of course, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. And uh, when we come back, we'll be talking with the former number two overall pick in the draft. And, of course, we want to get Ryan Leaf's perspective on a struggling quarterback. When you are struggling. How hard is it to go back in that locker room and be the leader for that team when there is a split and divide? If anybody can answer that question for us, it is the former number two overall pick in the draft who really struggled in his NFL career with that very thing, being the leader and getting acceptance in the locker room. We'll talk to him coming up on the other side here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, Super Bowl Sunday. You can hear the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. The coverage starts at 3 p.m. I'm Mike Gill. That's Hunter Brody. This is the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. We'll talk a little Super Bowl. We'll talk a little football. We'll talk a little life. He was the uh, number two pick in the NFL draft. He is now a part of the Believe Podcast Network. Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcast Network. You can also hear him breaking down college and NFL football on Sirius XM Radio. And he, like all guests, appears right now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline as we welcome in Ryan Leaf to the show. Ryan, how you been, man? I'm good, fellas. How are you guys doing? How's the how's the Super Bowl week treating you? Uh, it's not too bad. Uh, three years ago today, the Philadelphia Eagles, which is where we are, won the Super Bowl. And many of us are wondering what the heck happened. And we've been looking forward to talking to you all week because obviously as a guy who went through the league and had the ups and downs of playing that position, 
when you watch Carson Wentz this year, we figure maybe you have some insight on potentially what has happened to a guy who has experienced such highs and this year had so many lows. Well, you know, it, it you know, for, for guys that are drafted so high, you, you'd be surprised how fragile like the confidence or, or ego is it, if you lose confidence in what you're doing. And, uh, you know, the team was bad, period, right? The whole team was bad. And I, and I hate that quarterbacks and coaches get all the credit for when things go right and they get all the blame for when things go wrong. And it simply wasn't the case. And, you know, you heard Kelsey this year talk about how, you know, we're, we all played poorly. We, all, we are a bad team this year. And the quarterback's going to get the brunt end of it. And Doug Peterson said, you know, we're going we're gonna to try Jalen Hurts instead of, instead of riding it out with Carson Wentz. And the organization simply said, hey, uh, we're going to go with our franchise quarterback. And we just don't think, Doug, you were doing anything to help um, put him in good, good positions. And we'll see what that looks like a year from now. I do give Philadelphia fans uh, a hard time, especially when I'm in Pennsylvania uh, speaking. They're always they always ask me, of course, you know, what do you think of the Eagles? And I always I always say, I said, well, I mean, they let the Super Bowl MVP leave town and played the backup, uh, um, and it always gets your guys' goat so much. And today, isn't today like the anniversary uh, of the Super Bowl win for you guys three years ago? It sure is, and uh, I think a lot and, of people. And you guys, and you guys have a you guys have a memorial or a, uh, <laughs> um, a statue out in front, and the two guys that are in the statue, right, are they don't they are no longer with the organization. How does that How does that work? Right, and I would ask you, like, if you walked into a team and you were the you know at one point you were the number two pick, just like Carson Wentz. And if your backup had a bronze statue out front, how would that play? I mean, would, would that be something that you can get past and get over? I don't know. You know, that's, that's interesting. You know, I, I'd wonder what it was like. But, I mean, they, they clearly, you know, made the point that the next year by saying, hey, we're going with, uh, you know, we're going to go with Carson again. He's the one that got us to the playoffs. He was playing, having an MVP type of season before he tore his knee up uh, out in Los Angeles. And so um, – you know, I, I I think if you're a Super Bowl MVP, uh, you have all the confidence in the world. And sure enough, when Carson went down, you know, they were a drop pass away from, you know, the NFC Championship again the next year. So, you know, it, it's been strange. It really has. I will be really interested to see if if the youngster from North Dakota can, can get that swagger back and, and do the things he did in that MVP type year three years ago. Because if he can't, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Jalen Hurts pretty quick uh, next year, if things start going in the opposite direction. Now, I mean, obviously, again, you mentioned that your draft status, and sometimes you have that draft status, but then you walk into an NFL locker room. How difficult is it to walk into that locker room and get the respect? I mean, I guess sometimes you feel like, hey, I'm the quarterback, I'm drafted number two, they respect me, but it's not that easy. No, they don't. They don't care where you were drafted. If you were, if you can lead them, if you could be the quarterback. You could be drafted in the sixth round, a la Tom Brady, or you could be drafted, you know, what, number 10 overall by the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes. It doesn't matter. It's all what you do on the practice field. And then when you get into a game, especially when you start to make a few mistakes, how you react to that, how you deal with failure. Do you respond uh, correctly? Do you respond in a healthy, positive way? Or do you get defensive and start pointing fingers? That's a big part of it, and what really was a big part of my downfall is that I just I didn't take any of the accountability 
when it was my fault, when I was playing poorly. And if I would have done that, I really do think like veterans on the team and Junior Seau and Rodney Harrison, they would have had my back. But because of how defensive I got and how much I blame I put on others, uh, you know, the veterans just, just walked away and said, this isn't the guy that can lead us, lead us into the promised land. Well, that definitely seems like something happening right now with Carson Wentz. There's so many reports every day about the accountability and always blaming others. So maybe that is a big problem. And, and I just want to bring up the fact that, you know, every time someone speaks about Jalen Hurts, they bring up that leadership quality. When they talk about Carson Wentz, it's more about he's a fiery guy. He's a competitor. But maybe the word leader doesn't really come out. And you know, I'm just trying to find the balance between the two. And how important is it to be able to relate with these guys and be that leader, but also have that fiery competitor part of you as well? Like how important is it to find that balance? Well, I think the leadership part has to be at the forefront period. Then everything falls after that. Jalen Hurts is is a fiery guy too. He's, He's a leader, but he's a fiery guy out there. He, you know, that's a part of his resume as well. But if if the word leadership is the first thing that comes out of people's mouths when it comes to Jalen Hurts, that right there is the resume builder. He, he has all the other things. And, and, I, and I saw this in college, when I was covering college football. Uh, I was actually, my last day of work uh, for ESPN before COVID absolutely decimated everything, I was at, at the Oklahoma Pro Day uh, watching him go through it. And I thought, whatever team, and I, I actually thought the Baltimore Ravens were, were a team that were going to take a look at him uh, as a backup to Lamar Jackson. And, and Philly got in there before that. Uh, and I thought got a real steal in the draft by by taking him that high. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. It's going to have to be a – he's going to have to show promise, uh, Carson Wentz is, early in the season in this new offense, or, or Jalen Hurts is really going to get a strong look next year. All right, well, let me ask you this then. Ryan Leaf is our guest from the uh, Believe Podcast Network. And obviously, Ryan, all these were, things are out there. But he's unhappy. He doesn't want to be there. He still hasn't said a word since Peterson – has been fired. Wentz has not said a peep. He hasn't congratulated the new coach. He has said nothing. So number one, does that tell you he doesn't want to be here? And number two, if he is here with all that's gone on, how does he walk back into that locker room with all of these reports going down? They might not be true. They might not be whatever, but if they are, how does he walk back in there and win that locker room back over? Well, first off, we don't know if these are true or not. Uh, he, he, he could have simply called every one, single one of his teammates, the new coach, everybody, and uh, no one has said anything. You know, that's, that, that's rare um, that sources don't leak, but he, he could have done that. And I, 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 you know, from what I know of Carson and having spent the time with him, he's the type of person that would do that. So if he hasn't, that goes against all things character driven by him. And if that's the case, there's a real problem. There is a real problem if that is the if that is the response we're getting from him right now. And sometimes it you just you fall off that cliff, right? You you it's a it's a balancing act, you know, kind of between, you know, uh elite athlete and ass, right? And you just kind of bounce back and forth because you expect people to have your back because you're the big man on campus. And when that doesn't happen and you feel like you've been betrayed and the loyalty isn't there, you start acting impulsively like the entitlement takes over and lack of accountability does. And so if that's the way it's trending, you're going to find out pretty quick. You know, you'll find out pretty quick this offseason if it's trending in that direction. Um, I know that, um, you know, by the way, Ryan is the host of the Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcast Network. 
You know the quarterback position very well. It's what you studied in your post career with ESPN and now believe uh, and, and serious. You know, this quarterback class here, the Eagles have the sixth pick. So would you move on from Wentz, go to Hertz, or think about a quarterback at number six, or try to fix Wentz? They got a lot of options. How would you play it? Well, uh, the expectation in this league is what? Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. Those are the expectations, right? We just watched the Rams, who went to the Super Bowl three years ago, uh, or two years ago, walk away from their Super Bowl quarterback. The 49ers are clearly believing they're in the market for a quarterback when their quarterback took them to a Super Bowl a year ago. So if that's not good enough, then certainly if the Eagles have a chance at a quarterback that they feel that can compete over the next decade with the likes of Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or that situation, then you might have to go do that. Now, if the new coaching staff and the ownership believe that Carson Wentz is the guy to take them there, then you use that six pick on what your next biggest need is. And for the Philadelphia Eagles, I would expect it is to bolster that offensive line to protect Carson, to finally get it right at the wide receiver position when you make a draft pick. Um, and, and and do something maybe in the, the back end of that defense. Those are the, the glaring spots I see uh, in the Eagles past the quarterback position. So uh, it will be an interesting draft. If they, if they firmly believe that they need to find another quarterback to compete uh, with the likes of Mahomes and, and Brady, uh, then, then and Stafford now down in L.A., they're going to have to uh, – they're going to have to look. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think Carson comes out gangbusters next year if he's with the Eagles. I think he has a – a hell of a bounce back year and, and, and puts the Eagles in contention in the NFC East. I hope you're right. Well, when we, when you watched Carson Wentz struggle last year, not seeing the field mechanics, injuries on the offensive line, what stood out to you most when it, when it comes to that downfall? Well, he, the way he was just careless with the football, that, that wasn't him. You know, he wasn't that guy early in his career. I was, you know, Doug Peterson must have kind of given him the green light, it felt like, because some of the times where he was making some throws, he was taking chances that he normally didn't do. And usually when you start doing that, it's not because you're not seeing the field well. It's because you've been coached up all week that, like, hey, we need to take these shots. We need to take these chances. And he felt confident in doing that. I don't think he, I don't think he expected to be benched by Peterson one iota because I think he was following his, uh, his, his um, leadership on how to play the quarterback position last year because it was so out of the ordinary that he turned the ball over as much as he did. Ryan Leaf, we'll leave you with uh, your thoughts on this game. You mentioned Mahomes. You mentioned Brady. This might be the best quarterback matchup, the young versus the old. One guy going for seven. The other guy chasing him would get his second. So how do you see this one playing out on Sunday? Well, I, I, all my years watching the NFL, all my years playing and, and, and my post-career in, the, in an analyst chair, I have not seen an offense that has been this efficient and this effective. I, I just haven't. And therefore, you have to do things that make you uncomfortable on the other side of the football, out of the ordinary. And Bruce Arians is that guy. He, he really is. He's a guy that will go for it on fourth down in his own territory. He's a guy that will do some madness on special teams. Uh, and their defense has gotten turnovers. That's how you're going to have to beat the Chiefs this year because they simply score when they have the football. Uh, when they need to, they score. And you have to find a way to limit possessions or to steal possessions from them. And that's the, 
if the Bucks can do that, if they get Antoine Winfield Jr. back and they use him more as a utility guy to kind of follow Mahomes a little bit, shadow him, not necessarily shadow him so much, but just kind of sit in that mid to deep zone area to make sure you can stop him on third down when he's used his feet to continue and, and extend drives. That's how you beat him. I still don't think it gets done. I think the Chiefs win 38-35. 38-35. Great game. Great insight from former NFL quarterback Ryan Leaf of the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, check him out there. And, of course, he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. And uh, you can check more from him at uh, Ryan D. Leaf on Twitter. Ryan, it was a pleasure to catch up with you, man. We appreciate it. You bet, fellas. Have a great Super Bowl weekend. We will try to do our best. It's a little somber watching the Super Bowl with Andy Reid going a chance to win another one when we're here very far off. Nick Sirianni. Yeah, it's just, you know, three years ago today, I, I woke up and was like, today's the day. Three years ago. You won a lot of money. It's all gone. It's all gone. <laughs> hey, Ryan Leaf was great. Good stuff from him. When we come back, it's football at four. Andrew DeCecco. There's a lot of stuff swirling around. NFL Network report on Carson Wentz. You'll hear it. You'll hear the Checos take. That's coming up during Football at 4 next right here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN, the free mobile app. And watch the show live on our website, 97.3 ESPN.com.